the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody, coming up, we're going to talk about the shooting that happened in Milwaukee earlier this week. And we're going to talk about Christians and the Democratic primary. You are listening to The Common Good. Friday and welcome to the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life my name is Brian Fromm we have made it to the end of the week it is Friday John it's the weekend's just about upon us man I, I, I think the Fridays. definition of bliss and glee I love Fridays is just in your voice the first 10 seconds of every Friday show I love Fridays and so <laughs> uh, for no real reason I mean as a pastor the weekend is pretty busy but I don't know, man. Kids kids are off school for the weekend, and, you know, it's always a little bit more low-key. Got to love it's the good. weekend. Any big plans for you? No, I I, I, have, I have I work here, actually. Uh, on the weekends? Tomorrow, yeah. Okay. Once a month, I'm on the shift. Sometimes twice, it depends. Uh, there's a few shows I need to get done there. But after that, I, I, I don't just have to be spend here, right? time. No, you okay, do not. <laughs> there are other duties besides the common good at uh, AM 1160. Why? <laughs> Why else would it be any other show? I don't know. I feel like yeah. you're cheating on us. Yes. <laughs> anyway, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We've had lots of great guests this week that you need to go back and listen to on the podcast. Everyone from Greg Arthur to Dave Getz uh, to Kurt Wiggins and Ken Johnson. Uh, later on this show, we're going to have Kevin Sampson. Uh, and so all really interesting people. Uh, I'd encourage if you missed any of them, hop on the uh, hop on the podcast and give them a listen. Uh, but yeah, we're excited to be together here on this Friday. Oh, yeah. Normally joined by Ian Simpkins. That's uh, but he has been missing all week. If you've been with us, Ian is doing grad school work. Uh, in Tennessee for the week, but he will be back with us next week, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, sad story to start with, and this is from a couple days ago, I believe Wednesday, uh, from CNN. An employee stormed the Molson Coors Complex in Milwaukee and killed five coworkers before turning the gun on himself in one of the city's deadliest shootings. The company did not identify at this point, at least, the 51-year-old shooter, uh, but said he was an active employee at the sprawling facility. There's like 1,000 people who work there. Uh, it didn't provide details at the time of this report on a possible motive uh, for the shooting Wednesday or at that point, the identity of the victims. And I just wanted to start there by just saying, hey, we're praying for uh, these people. My wife actually uh, and my in-laws are from uh, the Milwaukee area. And I know we've got listeners up there and it's just always so tragic. Every time uh, we hear one of these stories, every time one of these stories comes across uh, the news of just an active shooter was well, somebody when they first made the call called it a war zone. And, uh, you know, it just makes you sad. And I don't know what the answer is, people, for gun control 
or this or that. Uh, but we as believers, these just need to make us sad. They need to cause us to grieve and uh, to be praying for these people. I saw a prayer vigil going on at the Ridge Community Church up there and uh, people all just sad. And so uh, we are praying and we are praying for a solution to the the regular gun violence we see in our country at random times and in random places. And uh, so please keep the people of Milwaukee in uh, your prayers. And uh, hopefully we can continue to work this out as a country. The second article I wanted to bring you out of CNN, uh, and it's just simply entitled this, because this might cut close to home for some of you. Uh, If you drive an expensive car, you're probably a jerk, scientists say. Yep, going to get you here, people. The science is looking pretty unanimous on this one. The article begins, drivers of expensive cars are the worst. A new study has found that drivers of flashy vehicles are less likely to stop and allow pedestrians to cross the road, with the likelihood they'll slow down decreasing by 3% for every extra $1,000 that vehicle is worth. Researchers from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, speculated that the expensive car owners, quote, felt a sense of superiority over other road users and were less able to empathize with lowly sidewalk dwellers. They came to this conclusion after asking volunteers to cross a sidewalk hundreds of times, filming and analyzing the response by car drivers. Now, that's a gutsy move right there. Uh, I'm just going to here. Here's what you need to do. You need to just kind of blindly walk across here and see how it goes. Uh, researchers used one white and one black man and one white and one black woman, also finding that the cars were more likely to yield for the white and female participants. Vehicles stopped 31% of the time for both women and white participants compared to 24% of the time for men and 25% of the time uh, for black volunteers. But the best predictor of whether a car would stop was its cost, researchers discovered. Disengagement and lower ability to interpret thoughts and feelings of others along the fe- with feelings of entitlement and narcissism may lead to a lack of empathy for pedestrians among costly car, own- car owners, they theorized in the study. And the discovery of a car value to jerk behavior correlation isn't new. The research published by the Journal of Transport and Health backed up a Finnish study published last month that found that men who own flashy vehicles are more likely to be, quote, argumentative, stubborn, disagreeable, and unempathetic. According to that survey of 1,892 drivers, those deemed to have more disagreeable character traits were more drawn to high status car, but it also found that conscientious people often favor higher priced vehicles too. Uh, he set out to discover they, uh, the the person who ran this set out to discover what kind of person is more likely to buy an expensive car, creating a personality test of Finnish car owners. So, I don't. I wanted to read that article right off the top of the show here, just for humor. Some of you are driving in your cars right now, and you're feeling really good about yourself, right? You're like, well, I'm driving a. Uh, you know, some uh, some old, old school car that's not very expensive. And I almost named a car there, but that felt dangerous. And uh, you're feeling good about yourself. But you might be driving one of those expensive cars. And it's, uh, it says uh, you may struggle with entitlement. Uh, and I would encourage you to give this a read and see what you think. You can do so at our Facebook page. Uh, but it does remind us of some biblical concepts, right? The biblical concept of contentment and uh, that uh, the power of money and uh, so it is a humorous uh, it is a humorous article, uh, but it does have some biblical uh, corollaries. Again, uh, this concept of a sense of superiority over what our materialism is. This is something that Jesus spoke to very often uh, that 
uh, that materialism and putting our hope and our faith and our uh, our image and our self-worth in the kind of car we have, the size of our house, the size of our bank account, that is always going to go poorly. And in fact, these were the people uh, who had such a hard time coming to terms with who Jesus was and who he was calling them to be. Uh, and so kind of a funny story, but a reminder uh, that we as believers are called not to have, quote, Uh, What this article talks about, disengagement and a lower ability to interpret thoughts and feelings of others, along with feelings of entitlement and narcissism uh, with a lack of empathy. Uh, And so uh, it's not because of the car that people have, but it's a the car becomes an indicator. So I would say as we kick off this show here today, uh, take a look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror. What uh, where are you putting your hope? Well, where does your hope lie? And uh, are you a person who is empathetic, regardless of your bank account or the type of car you have? Are you a person who is entitled, who is narcissistic uh, and all the other descriptions in here? Or are you one uh, who takes on the view that Jesus took, tells us to take on to view others as better than ourselves? And so this is kind of a humorous way to get at it. Do we stop for pedestrians? What do our cars say about us? But I think an all important question. Well, we're here we go on a Friday afternoon. We are glad to be together. Coming up next, we're going to talk about an article out of Christianity Today uh, about the Democratic primary. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm really happy that you're joining us today uh, on this Friday afternoon. I love Fridays, so hopefully you've got big plans for the weekend ahead of us. Uh, Grateful that you're spending some time with us today, whether it be uh, on the radio or you're listening to the podcast down the road here at some point. Uh, We are glad that you're doing so. You can find us on Facebook this weekend when you're looking for stuff to do. You're kind of bored. Hey, look up the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. There you can find the articles, including the one we're about to discuss out of Christianity Today. There you can find our articles. You can uh, give comments. And uh, yeah, we would love for you to join us on Facebook. Same thing at Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, You can find us online at 1160hope.com. There you can find uh, old shows. uh, You can listen live, uh, see some of the other shows. Lots of great shows here on the station, AM 1160. Uh, You can find those all at 1160hope.com. And finally, our podcast. Uh, You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts, all the different hosting sites. Uh, find the Common Good Radio Show. You'll see Ian and I's picture. And what makes the podcast nice is you can listen to us at any time. Listen to old shows. Listen to the most recent ones. They go up right after the show is over. And uh, you can listen just to interviews. You can do it any way you want. So uh, what does help us is if you subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, you can do that on the podcast Uh, Also on our Facebook page. So those are all the different places you can find us. Uh, Ian Simpkins normally with me, but not here this week. Uh, Ian has some uh, grad school stuff that he's doing and uh, will be back with us uh, middle of next week, I think. Middle of next week. Uh, Looking forward to Ian coming back uh, and joining us. But what we've been doing this week is uh, I've been discussing articles and different current events, but also having lots of different pastors and ministry leaders and authors uh, come through the studio. And later on today, we're going to have Kevin Sampson, an old friend of mine, also pastor of Renewal Church in West Chicago. Kevin's wife, Aubrey, has been on the show twice uh, at least. And so 
This may be, I don't know, one of the first, one of the only father, son, I almost said, husband-wife duos to have been on the Common Good. I think we've had a couple, but we can add this one to the list. Yeah, we had uh, Eric Bramlett a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and his uh, wife, Christy, will be on coming up in the next week or so. so. Wonderful. We have a couple. There you go. I haven't even had my wife on the show yet, so, you know, (laughs) we're going to have to do that. In the studio, nonetheless, but... Yeah, she has been here, but not on a microphone, so... Hey, before we jump into this Christianity Today article, uh, let me tell you something about what's going on at AM 1160. AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter uh, and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Now, tickets, they're going to start at just $25.00. And VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew Peterson. Now, group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. Get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That is 1160hope.com. I've always heard great things about Andrew Peterson, about his concerts. uh, So we would love to have you join us there. Well, you can find this next article at our Facebook page. Uh, It is outofchristianitytoday.com, out of their latest uh, issue. And it just says this, Democratic Christians weigh their primary concern. And it begins by telling a story about Joe Biden uh, visiting a a church in South Carolina. Uh, But it kind of, the premise is this, Democratic candidates are doing an unprecedented amount of faith outreach this presidential primary campaign. Some Democrats in the past have talked about their faith, like Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama, but now almost every Democratic candidate is making a point of it. This is more familiar territory uh, for Republicans. The GOP has done extensive faith outreach since the 1950s when Dwight D. Eisenhower promised church leaders that spiritual renewal would be part of the nation's defense against communism. Opposition to abortion, a non-negotiable issue for many Christian voters, and support for public religious expression have long attracted many Christians to the GOP. President Donald Trump hopes to continue that alliance, solidifying his support from white evangelicals and expanding it among Latino evangelicals. Today, Christians are more than three times as likely to see the Republican Party as friendly to religion. But about a third of all Democrats go to church every week. Nearly half say faith is very important in their lives. And polls show that 28% of evangelicals identify with the Democratic Party, along with 80% of black Protestants, 44% of Catholics, and 40% of mainline Protestants. And a lot of Christians are independents, curious if a Democratic candidate might appeal to their faith values. And we'll pause there. It goes on to talk about uh, specifically Biden and Pete Buttigieg. They've specifically hired religious outreach coordinators who help their campaigns connect to pastors and articulate the moral visions undergirding their political uh, campaigns. Eight candidates have cited scripture on the stump. Elizabeth Warren regularly quotes Matthew 25 uh, about sheep and goats. Even Bernie Sanders, a non-practicing Jew, refers to the golden rule again and again. And so the question the uh, article asks is for Christians, though. These efforts raise questions about when a candidate is using faith as a political prop. 
What's the difference between appealing to the Bible and exploiting it? How can Christians discern when a politician doesn't have a genuine commitment to shared values, uh, but is just using the right words to get their votes? And I would say this is an issue for both sides of the aisle. When do you know that a candidate... Uh, is in agreement uh, with what you believe versus when a candidate is just kind of trying to get a voting block. Because the evangelical voting block, to call it that, uh, is a big, uh, can swing an election. Uh, And it says, with Democrats doing an unprecedented amount of faith outreach in 2020, a lot of Christians are going to face the choice of how to respond to presidential candidates speaking to them as Christians. They will have to figure out what it means to vote faithfully on a morning when the Lord uh, woke them up. Like, what does it mean to be a believer when we go into uh, the voting booth? Are you looking to uh, vote in uh, a, a uh, candidate uh, who more most matches your Christian morality? Are you most uh, wanting to vote for a candidate who most will share uh, the freedom of religion that, that we desire? Uh, do you want your candidate to actually be a Christian? Does that matter to you? Uh, do they need to be showing the fruits of the spirit for you to be voting for them? Or are you able to um, differentiate somebody's faith from their policies? Are you okay as long as they are, say, low on taxes and have a specific stance on immigration or whatever else it might be? I think all of us as Christians need to wrestle with this question. What role is our faith going to play uh, when we are in the voting booth? Are we electing a pastor? Are we electing? Is it even appropriate to look for somebody who's going to push forth um, just Christian morals and values? What role does the abortion debate play for you? Is it going to be that? Is that going to determine who you vote for? Uh, Or is it more complex than that? See, we as Christians, we are being courted by both sides of the aisle because there is a lot of Christians in our country. Uh, but we are, um, uh, we need to be wise and we need to be smart. And I would encourage you be an educated voter, be an educated voter. Uh, and don't just listen to, uh, maybe the spin on both sides of the aisle, but ask yourself what's most important to me as a believer, uh, and as a citizen of this country, and then go and vote your conscience. An interesting article from Christianity Today. You can check it out on our Facebook page. Coming up next, we're going to talk about another article from Christianity Today that simply says this, the cross changes everything. That's next here on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Friday afternoon. Uh, you can continue to join us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, and uh, send it to a friend. Tell a friend about it. Uh, we are love our, our loyal podcast listeners. Grateful for those of you who do listen via podcast and those who listen on 1160, uh, very traditionally via the radio. So uh, Ian Simpkins, normally here co-hosting with us, is out of town for the week uh, and into next week. Uh, we're going to try to keep uh, this boat floating 
and uh, have it in a good spot for when Ian comes back. And so uh, excited for him to get back and uh, join the show again. But until he does that, uh, we're going to keep soldiering forward. You know what? Christianity Today, uh, I wanted to, if you allow me to do this, I'm going to actually read this entire article because it is such a great uh, written by Fred Sanders. Fred Sanders is a theologian at Biola University. And uh, it's entitled this, The Cross Changes Everything. And so sometimes we'll go current events in this show. Sometimes we'll do interviews. But sometimes we just want to bring us back uh, to the theological basics and uh, the theological hope that we have. Uh, And this is going to be one of those times. I want to read this article called The Cross Changes Everything because I think in this time of Lent, as we start this journey towards Easter, that's really what Lent is. We're on this journey to Easter Uh, Along the way, we're going to have Good Friday, we're going to have Palm Sunday, Good Friday, we're going to have Easter Sunday, culminating in a major celebration. But standing in the middle of it is the cross. And Sanders writes this article at Christianity Today entitled, The Cross Changes Everything. So if you'd allow me, uh, I'm going to just read the article. And you know what, John? They have to allow me. It's my show. And so... (laughs) Uh, I Actually, I'm the one you got to convince. Good point. (laughs) I'm not going to wait here for permission from people, so I'm just going to read it. Just go for it. Uh, Let me read what Sanders wrote, because I think it's just, it's, it's really well written. The cross of Christ is the center of salvation. It is the crucial point. The place of convergence where everything about the gospel comes together. If you interrogate Christian faith and ask, in one word, how does God save sinners? The response of a healthy faith will be instantly and confidently to pick out the cross. Of course, the healthy faith will also ask, please, may I have more than one word? Uh, The cross is meaningfully central only when it's recognized as the center of something vaster. Salvation in seven terms might include, along with the cross, Incarnation, resurrection, ascension, not to mention Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Salvation in 20 words could be explicit about even more ideas that are presupposed in the shorter answer. Uh, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, to paraphrase Charles Wesley. Christian faith is fluent and elegant. When it comes to salvation, speaking as a theologian, the author says, I would love to tell you about the salvation in as many words as you will permit me, but just as strong as the impulse to elaborate on the greatness of God in the work of salvation is the impulse to condense the whole message to the key point. Yet the condensed statement is always meant to call to mind the larger reality. Uh, whenever we say anything about the cross, we're almost always using a figure of speech called metonymy. metonymy. Uh, a word functions as a metonym when we use it to refer to something else, usually something larger to which it is closely related. When Paul says he boasts only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified uh, to me and I to the world, he is using one thing to refer to something else, the death of Jesus and its effect in reconciling us to God. Similarly, when Christians sing songs about the wooden object itself, we are well aware that we, what we cherish is not the old rugged cross as such, but the Son of God who used that cross in his work of seeking and saving. The cross means Christ crucified. All of this flashes across the Christian mind in an instant when the cross is mentioned. Now think vaster. When we speak of Christ crucified, something else also flashes across the Christian mind the presence of Christ risen and ascended in whose almighty presence I am writing these words and you are reading them. The one who says I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. 
And behind that risen one is the infinite depth of his eternal personhood as the son of the father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the perfect life of the blessed Trinity. All of this is implicit in what Christians say about the death of Jesus. We never mean just the death of Christ in an isolated way, as if it were cut off from his eternal life, his preexistence and exaltation, or the Father and the Holy Spirit with whom he indivisibly accomplished our salvation. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this when he said he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He meant that he was focusing on the central point, not that he was ignoring the resurrection or the Holy Spirit. But Paul leads with the cross. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul started this world-changing message with the cross uh, and centered his life-forming, his life-transforming message on the cross. He knew how to indicate the total reality of God's salvation, but he also knew how to focus. The early church knew it. The Apostle Creed, the Apostles Creed tells a very short version of the life of Jesus, jumping straight from born of the Virgin Mary over 33 years of his life to the final days. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead for a short creed. That is a lot of emphasis to put in one place. The creed has the cross at its center, but all things at its circumference circumference. Charles Wesley knew it. His hymn, And Can It Be, rivets our attention on the sacrificial death of Christ. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But that astonishing death in the foreground has an entire world of doctrine as its background. From the immortal son who out of free and infinite grace left his father's throne above to glorified believers clothed in righteousness divine and approaching the eternal throne. This is a hymn about the death of Christ that somehow also celebrates all the works and ways of God and invokes God himself. Paul knew it. The early church knew it. Wesley knew it. We know it today. Recognizing the centrality of the cross is not just an exercise in precisely calibrating our doctrinal doctrinal emphases or of taking care to be theologically correct. It's a matter of deep spiritual reality. The centrality of the cross changes everything. When you receive the good news that Jesus died for you, the result is like dropping a rock in a smooth pond. The ripples radiate outward to the farthest edges of reality. It is the death of Christ that enables us to die to ourselves. It is his death that justifies us before God's perfect righteousness that sets us free, that gives us courage to face persecution. The community centered on the cross is a great company of people reconciled to God and each other through the cross. People centered on the cross know how to die, learn how to live, and love like they've been forever changed by the love they've received. This is the open secret of how Christians attend to the death of Christ. All through the season leading up to Easter, we get a series of reminders on the crucifixion, and we all know that it means more. The cross reminds us of the entire sweep of salvation, and the sweep of salvation reminds us of the infinite love of God. When we see the cross, we recognize instantly that it stands for the death of Jesus which stands in the center of the perfect incarnate life and glorious resurrection of the eternal son of the almighty father. It's never the cross by itself, but the cross as the center Christian faith knows this. It knows to emphasize the cross, but emphasizing it means lifting it up for special notice, never isolating it. What a good word. Uh, from Fred Sanders. Uh, this piece is part of the Cross uh, Christianity Day special issue. 
uh, for Bible study sessions for Lent, Easter, or any time of year. That is Fred Sanders on the cross changes everything. You can find that at our Facebook page, the common good radio show. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to pivot a little bit uh, and we're going to talk about trends in church giving. That's next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Uh, find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, find us online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, what better thing, John, to do on a uh, March, where we go March this weekend, right? That's a Sunday, yeah. What better thing to do to usher in March than to just listen to a lot of the old podcasts? You know, what else you got going on this weekend? You could clean the house. Ah, listen to it while cleaning the house. I have not checked the weather. Oh, if you, I, if can, I can name a lot of things that would be great to do outside, but we do have a podcast app. While listening Spotify, to the podcast. See? Yeah. I mean, there are people, options. We got options. People, we cannot make this any easier for you. <laughs> other other than us coming to your house and starting it for you, like we are just doing this for we you. We have right? the technology. <laughs> Isn't technology just a wonderful thing? Yeah, it's not beautiful. <laughs> Why are we talking in a weird I don't voice? No, it's Friday. We're all weird. <laughs> that is a good point. Plus, we've been without Ian. He's kind of our anchor, right? He's, he, he, he holds us down. He's a voice down. of reason and sensibility. <laughs> Please cut that We're one off up the right rails. there. <laughs> uh, Ian Simpkins, normally with us, has not been here all week. He is out of town, but he will be joining us again, uh, I believe, in the middle of next week. And uh, and so we do anxiously await Ian's triumphant return. Uh, and uh, we are grateful uh, that Ian can get away, but that we are going to he is going to come back and we will continue doing this show together. Christianity Today. I feel like we've done a lot of Christianity Today uh, today. That's pretty much this whole a little hour, redundant. That's OK. A little redundant there. A little Christianity Today today. Uh Every now and then you just go on their website and you find all sorts of good articles. And sometimes I go on their website and I'm like, no, nothing. So today was one of those good days. So I'd encourage you to go to ChristianityToday.com. They've got lots of great uh, resources there. Uh, but Mark uh, Demaz uh, wrote an article called Here Come the Skinny Cows. Uh, this is about church giving. So this is a little inside baseball if you are a uh, church person. Uh, but uh, all churches um, think about plan for, I would say, worry about uh, giving, especially the beginning of a year. Uh, People are still paying off their Christmas gifts and uh, your church either just made or didn't make your budget. Uh, Probably a little nervous. Uh, Pastors get a little nervous about the budget each each month or each week. Uh, And there's some signs that uh, giving to churches is going to decrease. And that's what this article is about. It says conventional wisdom suggests that a church budget whose budget is not 100% supported by tithes and offerings is not sustainable. We believe, however, that a coming revolution in church economics will necessarily redefine the notion of church stability altogether. As an increasing number of congregations find that they are not stable or sustainable by that definition. Imagine how much less your church might be able to accomplish if it was forced to cut 30% of its budget. It would probably result in a significant reduction of staff, programming, community engagement. Such a scenario is already playing out in many churches across the United States as tithes and offerings are stagnant or in decline. 
given the possibility, if not a probability, that local governments may someday assess church real estate to collect property taxes and or that the federal government could take away tax exempt status for churches altogether. We believe the time to pivot is now. There are at least four contributing factors. And so Christianity Day article here uh, is going to talk first about four contributing article uh, factors driving the need for economic innovation in the local church today. Let me give you those four contributing factors. The first that this article highlights is a growing burden on the middle class. <clears throat> when asked by CNN what being middle class meant, uh, Connie White of Tennessee who owns a cleaning business, said middle class to me means making your own way without assistance. You see inflation, higher standards of living, increasing cost of education, decreasing value and purchasing power of the dollar, coupled with widely available access to credit, has led Americans to borrow more money than ever before. There's a growing burden on the middle class that America's middle class is largely understood to be the demographic group upon whose back churches are built. So that's the first factor. Second factor, a decline in religious giving altogether. According to the recent uh, Giving USA report, giving to religion declined in 2018 after six years of slow growth and one year of flat growth. Religious giving, the report said, is estimated to decline by 1.5%. Uh, as you might imagine, this is hitting churches significantly. For example, uh, the most recent Faith Communities Today study found that the median church budget fell from 150000 in 2009 to 125000 in 2014. Pastor and writer Carl Vaders, who we've had on this show before, suggests that his fellow ministers can no longer afford to assume new believers understand the intricacies of church funding. Third factor that, uh, that this article brings up is a shift in generational approaches to giving. According to former Lifeway CEO uh, Tom Rainier, uh, those between 1980 and 2000, so millennials, are often reticent givers. They want to be certain the church is a good steward of the contributed funds. In addition, he writes, giving to the institution is the motive of most of the builder generation, those born before 1946. Subsequent generations are more likely to give to a cause or a vision. And number four that they write here is uh, a rapidly changing population and demographic. Over the next 15 to 25 years, a rapidly changing population will have a significant impact on local churches in the U.S. Among other things, church planting, growth, and development must be necessarily altered if local congregations are to remain credible and viable. For example, according to the U.S. Census Bureau report, the rate of population growth is slowing uh, and the population is aging. By 2030, one out of five Americans will be 65 years or older. And finally, the report demonstrates the population is ter- changing in terms of racial and eth- ethnic uh, pluralism. And so the question is, what do you do with all of this? The, the, the article ends this way. Based on this information, should leaders bemoan a lack of resources and wonder what might be if they only had more? To think in such a way with eyes turned down and heads hung low is to give into a scarcity mindset. Grayson Bell suggests that a scarcity mindset keeps people focused on maintaining uh, what they have instead of pursuing new opportunities, staying afloat and being reluctant to take chances, worrying about bank balances and putting off financial decisions in hopes that issues will go away. In fact, John Maxwell says leaders who allow a scarcity mindset to work its way into their culture pay a high price. When resources are perceived to be limited, paranoia, fear, and politics thrive. In this environment, people become nervous and afraid to make a mistake. 
to position our churches for long-term sustainability. They write, we must avoid unnecessary fears and intrinsic limitations of a scarcity mindset. Instead, ministry leaders embracing a mindset of abundance are able to envision possibilities, inspire optimism, capitalize on opportunities, and unleash entrepreneurial creativity in the church. Concerning the financial future of their congregations, they do not sit idle, hoping things will happen. Instead, they get after it and make good things happen. By leveraging church assets, they establish profitable business enterprise, create jobs, reduce crime, produce tax revenue, resurrect abandoned property, and provide emotional hope to their communities. In doing so, the gospel, the local church, and the kingdom of God are advanced through the application of wise and benevolent church economies. I think this article is just, uh, it's it will really challenge you because it is a backward mindset that says, hey, as the churches are maybe getting less giving and less money from their congregations, that it's also time to just be creative, to be uh, to take chances, to keep pushing out there. And I think uh, churches don't do this necessarily very well. Uh, I know in my own life that when uh, when things are are scarce, when we don't make our budget, whatever fear sets in. Uh, but we serve a God who is not a God of fear. And so the question is, church boards, pastors, whatever else it might be, what do we do with this changing demographics and this changing landscape? What are the opportunities that the church has? Well, you could check out that article at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we are going to end our Friday by having an old friend and pastor in, uh, in studio, Kevin Sampson from Renewal Church. Going to join us here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, uh, Kevin Sampson, pastor of Renewal Church in West Chicago, is going to join us. You are listening to The Common Good. Welcome back, everybody, to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. It is the weekend. We hope that you are looking forward to the weekend. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com and find your podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. And we are thrilled to be joined in studio for the next couple segments 
uh, by an old friend, Kevin Sampson, pastor of Renewal Church. Kevin, thanks for coming in, man. Brian, great to be here. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. A little bit of background for us. Kevin and I, we both went to Wheaton College. We did. Uh, you were a year behind me, so you looked up to me and my friends. Very and, much uh, so. I still do. Kevin, yeah. Kevin spent a lot of time in our dorm room, in our apartment. And uh, yeah, there we could fill this time with stories of various people we know. We could probably get some people in trouble. Uh, we but definitely we're, have some leverage. <laughs> but we're, we could probably get one another in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but we are, we are not going to do that. But Kevin and I, like I said, we both went to Wheaton College together and uh, had a lot of laughs and a lot of good times. And uh, I do want to start there. So you and I have kept up, but not greatly. Uh, I graduated in 99. You graduated in 2000. Yep. We are now both pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church. You're at Renewal Church in West Chicago. Give us that Reader's Digest. Give us the journey from you know Kevin Sampson graduating Wheaton uh, to Kevin Sampson starting and leading a church in West Chicago. What's that story? That's a good question. I think most people that I went to Wheaton with <laughs> would be uh, surprised at where I'm at and uh, that I'm doing semi-okay. Yeah. Um, I think it really started in at Wheaton. I, the Lord really got a hold of my life, and it was just through relationships there, guys I played football with, mm-hmm. guys like you. Um, sure. <laughs> and and that was really the first time in my life where I really had this just real relationship with Jesus. And I had a lady during a senior share uh, say to me, I think, you know, you should maybe be a pastor. Really? And before that, the thought... It didn't even really cross my mind. I just had enough history in my life that the kind of person I was didn't really do... Pastoring probably wasn't the obvious path. Yeah, yeah. I avoided church as much as I could growing up. and um, But she kind of planted a seed in my mind. And Hmm. and, uh, I think after college, um, worked in some construction and, and, and then ended up going back to graduate school. Yeah. At Wheaton, right? At Wheaton. Yeah. And I remember saying to my wife, I had a life goal never to go back to school, but I just said, I think I just was, I was a little frustrated with, you know, Bible teaching that I would hear. And I just said, I got to do something about it. I'm not mm. going to complain. I'm, And so I'm going to start taking some grad classes. And she kind of laughed. And and uh, two years later, I was, you know, full-time enrolled in a master's program. Yes. You took the um, hard master's. I remember, I you might not remember this. I, I took... I took just the biblical studies side because I was working full time at Glen Ellen Bible Church at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember you were in the biblical exegesis, lots of Greek, lots of Hebrew. Yep. All that. And I somehow found myself in a class with uh, you probably don't remember the story. I found myself in a class with you. It was like uh, it was heavy Greek, heavy Greek. And I wasn't going to do it. And I remember them doing the syllabus. And you turned around and looked at me like, no, you got to stay. You got to do this. I go, nope. And I walked hey. up and I handed Greg Beal, Dr. Beal, I handed him my syllabus and walked out. <laughs> yeah. The, those Greek classes, especially with Dr. Beal, were yes. not for the faint of heart. No, they were not. <laughs> so I was enmeshed in this master's program, but at the same time, serving in the church uh, that my wife and I were at. And I would go to Zambia to serve in a ministry there oh, wow. uh, every so often, a few times a year. And... Uh, Finished this master's program and just felt like Zambia was the place that God wanted my wife and I to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy there named Lawrence Tempway and loved working with him, loved what he was doing, and just felt like that's where God wanted us to be. So we went and lived there for about a year. And 
I think being there, being around Lawrence, being around the ministry that he was doing in his own context really helped give me a vision for like, what does, this is what ministry could look like, Mm. even for me. I mean, he was, so his influence on me and he just pointed out things God was doing in my life. And so we moved back and uh, went back to the church we were at before and uh, the pastor there just said, hey, there's a position here. Um, We're looking for somebody and. Um, I think you'd be a good good person to do it. Wow. And, Were you done with grad school at this point? Already? Yeah, I was finished. Okay. Well, sort of. I was working on another <laughs> master's degree. Another one. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I just, my wife was pregnant with our first kid, so I needed a job. And, uh, <laughs> do it. <laughs> and, and I was really just, uh, just thankful that uh, something like, an opportunity like that opened up for me. So I served at, it was Community Fellowship Church in West church. Chicago yeah. for um, about eight years. Okay. On staff there, and and then the Lord just—I uh, always had this vision to plant a church. He did, and uh, then finally, my wife was like, "Okay, let's let's do this." Yeah, and that is a good segue that births into Renewal Church in West Chicago. Um, what? Tell me about Renewal Church. Tell me about what your dream was for it before you started. Because I planted a church too, and you always mm-hmm. have these visions of what's it going to be. What was your goal in planting Renewal Church, and how's it been now? I think you said four years that you've been at it. The dream has been a, a multi-ethnic reproducing movement of God. Mm. So I, I think what God's called me to is uh, cross-cultural ministry. I, I think earlier on, I imagined that would be you know some far-off, yeah. unreached people group. Um, but it really isn't a place like where we live in West Chicago. It's a, a majority Hispanic community, and uh, and we love it. I mean, we love the neighborhood, um, and at the same time, we just saw that there are so many people there who have no idea what church is, mm. have no connection to a church, and, and really aren't experiencing the life that Jesus has for them. And and uh, and we saw these racial divides in the community and, and how it's affecting people's lives and, and really just kind of had this dream of, we saw what God could do. Yeah. And, and so we... Kind of planted. We planted a church just around that that vision, and and been chasing after that these past four years it, as fast as we could. Yeah, how uh, it's quite a roller coaster. I found church planting to be quite the roller coaster. Um, yeah, I guess I'd start with that question. Has that been your experience? Lots of highs, lots of lows, or has it just been pretty steady for you? So I'm not a, an incredibly steady person. So, <laughs> Mark that I mean, one down right I there. Mean, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going completely off the rails, but like yeah. it's, it's a roller coaster. Um, there's ups and downs. Um, but I, in some ways it's, it almost gets harder as things have continued to grow because yeah. I feel wired and really comfortable with a blank canvas. Hmm. So that was, it was really exciting for me early on. And although there's nothing, um, that, that to me was, you know, really a, a really exciting time for me, but as, as things have grown and, and it just involves, it becomes more complex and, and, uh, I've had to learn and grow myself as a leader, um, because of, yeah, just because of the, the changes and all that. But yeah, there's, there's ups and downs, um, you're stepping in with people in hard situations yeah. and, and uh, when you're, you know, chasing after what God wants you to do and there's nothing and he's bringing stuff together. A lot of people who've never been to church, a lot of our staff, this is the, nev- they've, their first 
really experience in it yeah. and uh you know planted with a team of people some who were just brand new believers and uh but no one had ever done it before mm-hmm. and so yeah de- we de- i definitely look back and those fir- <laughs> yes. especially that first year and i'm like how did I'm we make it sure how <laughs> um but yeah, there's definitely ups and downs. Yep. And yep. Give us uh where do you guys meet? Give us the website and then we'll talk more after the break. We'll talk more about pastoring. We meet at the Ark Center in West Chicago. Um, it's right next to Tur- uh, Turtle Splash. It's a park district building. I My son had a baseball tournament right there Did last really? year. Yeah. 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 So people work out across the hallway, then they come to church. Um, oh, that's awesome. Uh, our website is bringrenewal.com. BringRenewal.com. So that's Kevin Sampson. You're hearing Renewal Church, West Chicago. Check it out at BringRenewal.com. Coming up next, I want to talk a little bit more about this concept of a multi-ethnic church and uh, what the value of it and what makes it difficult. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out of town. And so one of the things we're doing uh, while Ian is out of town is just having in local pastors, local authors, local ministry leaders uh, to help you get to know some new people. And with that in mind, uh, we are joined by Kevin Sampson. Kevin is the pastor of Renewal Church in West Chicago. And uh, we did figure out you're one of the first people uh, to complete a husband-wife uh spot on the common good so your wife aubrey sampson has been on here do you feel pressure that she's been on here already and now you're here a little bit of pressure i feel no pressure <laughs> i feel no pressure <laughs> and so you might remember aubrey being in here i think she's been in here twice uh but kevin and aubrey lead at uh renewal church as i said before the break you were telling us about your church and you used a very interesting phrase you said we planted it to be intentionally multi-ethnic and so i'm curious two things uh, why that intentionality, and what does it even look like to be intentional in trying to be multi-ethnic? Because most people are like, well, I would like my church to be multi-ethnic, uh, but there's very little intentionality around us. So talk about that that kind of concept of multi-ethnic. So, I, I mean, I think it starts with this. Uh, we yeah, really see um, at the heart of the gospel is this vision that um, God really wants to reach all people. And, and you really don't, you can't really understand really the goodness, the graciousness, the glory of God, yeah. um, apart from people who look different, uh, talk different, yeah. are from different different parts of the world, and somehow in, e- in each and every culture, um, in each, each and every ethnicity, there actually is a, a piece of, of God that um, that is significant. And yeah. so that, that really, to kind of start with that, Foundation. We also live in a community that's predominantly Hispanic, mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a diverse place. So there's you know there's missional reasons we want to we want to be a church that reflects and reaches the the entire community as it is. Yeah, and I think particularly where we're at, it's uh, an immigrant community. Um, there, and there's a lot of second, third generation immigrants, but a lot of just a lot of you know first generation. Immigrants and yeah. and uh, I think at a time in our countries, you know, an era where it, it doesn't seem like they're uh, being embraced. Like we just said, hey, this is your. We wanted this to be your home too. Mm. Um, Was that met? Were you guys? Are you or were you met with like some skepticism? Uh, like oh, um, you know. Uh, like you said, you don't look like us or talk like us. What are you here for? Or was it? 
Uh, or have you guys been embraced in West Chicago? So yeah, we started with a multi-ethnic team. Oh, that's and awesome. So, so that that I think is foundational. So, um, I, I think yeah, I mean, I think we've been embraced, but it it's been primarily uh, because I think we've served a lot. Yeah, uh, we've just tried to find any way we could serve the neighborhood. Um, and I think that's really, and a lot of ways, given us a reputation that's bigger than oh, that's cool. the size of our church. Um, yeah, like the school system, they just gave us a an award for being a servant to the community, and oh, really, and things like that. And, and that's really um, those things have been been great. And I think it speaks a lot to what God is doing and the people that He's brought brought to the church. But yeah. just this really, just kind of strong impulse and um, outward movement and to serve. Yeah, how do you keep that? Uh, you start a church, and everybody wants to reach the community. Like you're like, yeah, but after three, four, five years, uh, you know, the natural flow can be kind of more inward focused. Like what? So, how are there ways that you guys have very intentionally kept your church uh, outward focused? We want to be in the community, reach mm-hmm. the community. What are some of those ways? So, I mean, I think in some ways it's. It's not about me, but I think it's it starts with me. That's mm-hmm. the only direction I know how to go. <laughs> um, and, and so I think I struggle with sometimes as a as a pastor as the church kind of grows a little bit is like am I am I the best leader for this? Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I th- there is a sense of as things grow that you want to bring some stability in ways that um, and I'm more like no, we're here to reach people mm. and. Uh, th- so yeah, so I think it just starts with me. I mean, I talk about it, try to embody it, and uh, and even like our leadership teams, and um, it's it's an assumption that they're engaged in their their neighborhood, engaged in the community, and and yeah, so we regularly talk about it, share stories about it, um, are, are regularly praying for people we want to see come to Christ, and. And so, just uh, it's all a rhythm of yeah. of what we're doing, and but it, it you're right. It the natural dr- you don't naturally drift into it. Correct. I, I feel like we just are, are we add another service, and and it again it, it like kind of exposes like oh are we really inviting people? Are we really mm. inviting people to church? Are we really do we know how to have conversations about faith with people and. Uh, and so we're, yeah, we're really kind of pressing into it again. But you don't, yeah, I just, uh, we, you don't drift into it. Yeah, no, you don't at all. And uh, you touched on something else, and you and I talked a little bit off air about this, but uh, that kind of, I don't think most people realize that pastors uh, can be pretty insecure people <laughs> and have lots of like leadership that, like people look to pastors for all sorts of different things. And I think what most people don't realize is most pastors are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't and, and like and, and there's a lack of there can be a real lack of confidence or an insecurity. Uh, so, you know, we can turn this into a counseling session. Where do you find how do you deal with that? How do you find your security? You talked before about, I don't know, am I the best leader for my church? Like when you have those questions about yourself, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, maybe it should be a counseling session because uh, <laughs> hey, I, I need one. Um yeah, I mean, I come back to um, regularly. I'll every year I'll spend. I do this little retreat thing, and I, and I it's my the first thing I'm I'm always asking the Lord is like, do you want me to keep doing this? Mm. Um, I, yeah, I am insecure. Yeah, and I kind of live in this place between like great confidence 
and what God can do in total inadequacy. <laughs> yes. And that's, I don't know how to, but that's what it feels like. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm regularly asking God, is this what, is this what you want me to do? And if, if, you know, I walk out of there and it feels like yes, then like I'll stick with it for the next year. Yeah. Um, so that's one. I think I, I need people around me mm-hmm. that, who know how insecure I feel. And 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 I asked them to like just speak truth to me. So yeah. there's a guy after every time I preach, there's a guy at a church. He's a next door neighbor, and uh, um, after every time I preach, he gives me a big hug and just says, he just says like, "Oh, great job, man." Yeah. And I, I really I don't know if it was I don't <laughs> like at that point it doesn't I don't need to I just need I just need a hug and I just need to be reminded. <coughs> That you know he cares about me. Yeah, great job. Um, and so he gives me a big hug, and I always say, oh, "Should we do it again? Should we do it again?" <laughs> and, and he's always like, "Oh yeah, definitely." Um, but he just, I just need those a couple of those relationships yes. where, um, where I can just say they just know that I, I'm insecure, and 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 I've given them words that I need to hear. Um, in order to keep going, um, and, and then and then I just need people just to. You know, kind of kick me in the rear, and, yeah, and just remind me it's not about you. Yep. Um, if I try, if I'm trying to hide, or if I, you know, kind of, I can drift into self pity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the irony is, I don't think most people believe this or know this, but every pastor I know uh, is insecure in some way. Some of them project real confidence. Oh yeah. <laughs> but every pastor I know, it's not always insecure in the same way. Like some people are really confident speakers. Like, no, yeah. I can do that. But insecure yeah. as a counselor or insecure in whatever else it is. And, and that's a real, I, most people don't think that. Most people don't think pastors are insecure. Every pastor I know struggles with insecurity. I would say the greater confidence any pastor exudes, the deeper the insecurity. That's interesting. I would. That's been... I think that's true. It's not always true, but like I would say it's 99% yeah. true. Ian and I joke on here that I'm such a word of, words of affirmation guy. So you told this story about the guy who hugs you. I got a guy in my church. If he's in this one spot every time after I preach, he reaches, he fist bumps me as I walk by. Like it's mm-hmm. our thing, kind of like the good job, good job. And if he ever doesn't do it, I'm, it's like I'm a dog. I'll just stand yeah. there and wait for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because we need people like that in our lives to build up. And, uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing about pastors. Well, Kevin's going to stay with us for another segment. I want to talk uh, a bunch of different subjects uh, about church and about just kind of this evangelical world we live in. We're going to talk that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, flying solo today. Uh, Ian Simpkins will be back with us next week. Uh, we're being joined by, for one more segment by Kevin Sampson, pastor of Renewal Church in West Chicago. But before that, let me tell you something that AM 1160 is doing. We're excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. There you go. 
As I said, we continue to be joined Very by Kevin true. Sampson. I, good, good job on that one. Yeah, yeah. No, someone's going to that show. Oh, it's you do. Be great. Yeah. Good. That's that is. Uh, well, I think we will be there, so I'm excited for it. Uh, let me tee it up. Let me ask you a bit of a strange question again. Kevin Sampson joining us from Renewal Church. Um, uh, we talked earlier. Your wife Aubrey has been here. And uh, Aubrey has written a couple books, including what's the one, The Louder Song, right? The Louder Song. Uh, and I've seen on Facebook, they've had her. She's been at some big events at Wheaton Bible and other things. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you husband of the year right now. What's it like to, see, to be seeing your wife uh, succeed in this way? Books, speaking, is that just like, it's got to be pretty cool. Oh, it's, it's thrilling. Yeah. I, it's something she's always wanted to do. And I think... Uh, yeah, just proud of her. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about what God is doing with her, and uh, I hope someday I can retire. And, <laughs> and she can... <laughs> there you go, from your lips no. to God's ears right there. No, but I, I uh, yeah, just re- really exciting to to see what God is doing in her life and through her life. and yeah. Using her books in know, powerful ways. Yeah, and it, I know it doesn't come easy. I see what it takes for someone to write a book, and, and uh, so yeah, just really excited of her, really proud of her. I can never write a book. <laughs> never. Yeah, I, I've got a couple that I've told her sh- that she, she should write. She should write. Um, but she's, You're a ghostwriter. Yeah, it turns out she doesn't do everything I tell her to do. Um, but yeah, it's been, yeah, some of the success that she's experiencing awesome. right now is really, really fun for her and fun for our whole family yep. to see. So you've got three boys. You told me age 13, 10, and 8. Uh, that strikes me, and as knowing you and guessing what you're like as a dad as well, uh, probably a pretty crazy house. What's it like to have three boys that close in age, kind of getting older? Uh, well, tell me about having three boys in your house. They are sweet kids. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of energy, um, a lot of activity. There's f- uh, food all over the floor, <laughs> everywhere. And uh, <laughs> you could find any kind of cereal in every corner of our house. That's so and funny. I have no idea how it gets all there. Uh, but they... <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, yeah. um, at least so far, so they're, far, they're pretty good buddies. And, uh, in fact, a lot of times it's almost, uh, them versus my wife and I, <laughs> yes. they, they really take care of each other. We've been there. If one of them gets in trouble, they try to get them out of trouble, um, which is really fun to see, but, uh. Just in terms of that bond, that yeah, they have, but, that's cool. But we make sure that. So, so my non, my last non pastoral question: uh, Where you and I first met, you were came to Wheaton to play football. That's not why you came to Wheaton, but you were a Wheaton football player. Uh, would you let your boys play football now? How are you? Uh, what is? Your, what are your thoughts on football with all the stuff you read these days and everything? Yeah, hundred okay. percent. I I think you know even th- none of my boys have said they wanted to. Sure, sure. Yet. You won't force um, them into football, but if they, if they want to, um, yeah, I'd let them. I think the if there's any injuries I sustained or brain cells that I lost, it it mainly happened after when I played. The it, game. it was college football. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think it's the continued. Yeah, it's college football. I think that probably took the biggest toll yeah. on my body and my head, if you will. But I think, at least for me, it was a great game. The relationships that I made, and it was the kind of sport that I needed. Yeah. Um, and so if I don't think my boys have to play football. Sure. Um, but sure. if they wanted to, I also think when they're younger, they're really not running that fast. Yeah. They're not hitting that hard. And, and so they can obviously get hurt, but it's not, it's not the same as yeah. when you get 
like late high school and and into. I was calling those Wheaton College games. I was very glad I was up and not down there. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, you. Yeah, hit hard there. So let me ask you this, pastorally. uh, I was ask. I've been asking some of the different pastors who've come through this week. You might not know this election coming up this year. uh, You may not be aware. Uh, not I've so much. Heard a few. I've heard a few things. Not so much interested in what are you voting for or what's more for you. How instead, I want to ask it this way: as a pastor, what do you see as your role with your congregation to help them navigate these next nine months as we go to an election? Are you going to be preaching on politics? Are you going to be? Uh, what's your message to your congregation? How do you want to see them approach this election season? Yeah, I mean, I think considering um, the way politics is talked about now mm-hmm. um i think uh, i want to like just continually help people see uh, jesus is mm-hmm. is on the throne always uh, no matter you know what you think or about any candidate yeah. um that jesus is still king that mm-hmm. there is good news um through jesus christ and and so to really keep that kind of front and center in their yeah. life and how they, you know, even then begin to think about other candidates. Yeah. Um, because of where we live, it's definitely like it's an immigrant community. It's a diverse place. Like there's in our we're, community, like most people uh, definitely lean one way yeah. and yeah. lean away from another direction. And um, so that's so you kind of deal with you kind of have that. You know, people town over, it's yep. very different. Yep. Um, but I think, I, I guess discipleship is more about um, really helping people understand that I think politics is important. Yeah. There's like real things that are at stake. But I, I think any one of these candidates right now, um, they have like great things to offer and they're going to, there's huge liabilities. Yeah. So that's the part to really kind of keep that all in perspective. And I think if anything, like how do we have a conversation about this with humility um, without killing each other? And and I think (laughs) that's the, how can we just, some of those things are very simple, but how to have conversations about really charged subjects. How has politics been? Like you said, you live in an immigrant community that leans for obvious reasons one way. Uh, how have they viewed your church? Because uh, most people believe Christians, evangelicals lean the other way. And so has yeah. that been an open door for you? Or have you guys found that to be a hurdle that you have to clear? Um, I, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I, I, f- I feel like I am, I want to be pretty clear mm-hmm. about like really being pro immigrant. Yeah. And, and sometimes that like conjures political ideas and thoughts in people's minds. Yep. And so you let them, Kind of deal, but but yeah, well, I'll have I've seen people in church with two different hats, literally two different hats that they're wearing, <laughs> you know, supporting two different candidates, and that's wild. And uh, and you just and I love that. And yeah. you're like, well, I hope you know they can get along. And and I've seen conversations with people like, there's I didn't think you voted or supported that person, and mm-hmm. and as as long as it just sticks to a little ribbing, and then. It's a good thing. That's good. Uh, with the last, say, minute and a half that we have here, another thing I ask everyone to do when they come, <clears throat> uh, you'd think everyone that listens to our show is a Christian and all in church and stuff, but we've actually come to find out there's some people out there who don't even believe. They just kind of listen to just kind of, it's like a shallow end of the pool, right? Kind of mm-hmm. passively observe. So let's just say there's a person out there listening right now who's just struggling. Life is hard, uh, not really sure where to find hope. 
Uh, I want to give you a moment to be pastoral. Could you speak to that specific person driving home from work right now or they're in their house or listening to the podcast uh, who just doesn't really know where to turn right now? Yeah, if that's anybody right now, I I want you to know that um, the darker it feels, um, just the, the greater reality that God is in it with you. Mm. Um, there's something about the fact that it even feels dark and maybe you're looking for God and maybe you don't see him. Um, but the fact that you're even looking for him and wondering where he's at, maybe craving, crying out for him, um, is actually a sign that God is, mm. is walking you through whatever, whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're walking through today. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a simple message, but Jesus does love you yeah. and he has your good in mind. Um, at all times, and um, this is another opportunity for you to trust him and to open your life to him and to whatever he has for you, but he loves you. That's he a good word. You. That's a good word. Man, who would have thought, right? 20 years ago, we're sitting in a college dorm playing Nintendo or whatever. I know. And Using we'd be doing this. Using my computer in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, you've been listening to Kevin Sampson. Kevin is the pastor of Renewal Church. What's your guys' website again? Bringrenewal.com. Bringrenewal.com. Especially if you live in the West Chicago area, I would encourage you to go check it out. Kevin, thanks, man. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you. This is a great show. Love what you're doing. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web Well, that music can only mean one thing, and one thing only. It is the end of the show. Uh, Interweb Insanities. This is a time where our producer, this time, producer John, PJ, on the other side of the glass, Mm -hmm. uh, he has found us stories that we have not read, I have not read, uh, sound effects that we have not heard. And so if you're excited by these, we're laughing with you. But if you're insulted, know that we're probably insulted with you. And uh, you need to reach out to our producer and let him know your disgust. And then I will forward them to, um, well, nobody. Nope, you're going to keep yeah. them right yeah. to you. There yeah. you go. First one's out of Texas. Demolition company accidentally tears down wrong house. When you go to tear down a house, it's probably a good idea to triple check the address. That's what one company is learning after it demolished the wrong house. A crew tore down a 97-year-old house on the same Dallas street as the one that was actually supposed to be demolished. The company's owner says the home didn't have any numbers on it, and if there were numbers on the curb, they were covered by water and debris. Workers saw the house was empty. It had no plumbing or electrical wiring. It was also missing a foundation and had no gas meter. So they figured it was the right place. Mistakes were made. (laughs) Yes, they were. 
Oh, man. The house was actually owned by a man who lives in California who inherited it from someone who died three years before. He's in for a payday. California. Police search for person who stole hearse with woman's body in back from the church near Pasadena. Deputies from Los Angeles Sheriff's Department are investigating Wednesday night after a suspect stole a hearse with a casket and a body inside. The 2017 Black Lincoln Navigator was parked outside of St. Anthony's Greek Orthodox Church uh, in Pasadena with a casket holding a body in the back when an unknown suspect drove off in it. The Sheriff's Department confirmed the body in the hearse was that of an adult female. According to the Sheriff's Department, a mortician had two bodies in the hearse and was dropping one off at the church. While the mortician was inside, the thief stole the vehicle that still had the woman's body in the casket. In a tweet directed at the suspect, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department uh, pleaded for the driver to return the body. They prefer to be called the living impaired. (laughs) Uh, Next one's out of the state of Washington. 600-pound sea lion found in Washington woods. A sea lion wandered far from home in Cowlitz County over the weekend, leading to a standoff with deputies. The stellar sea lion, weighing around 600 pounds, was discovered in a wooded area. Uh, Sheriff deputies, fish and wildlife officers, and representatives from the Cowlitz County Humane Society had to wait several hours for a trailer to arrive to transport the animal back to the water. In the meantime, wildlife officers kept track of the sea lion as it moved around the neighborhood overnight. It was a significant distance from water uh, and was blocking the road at times. At one point, the animal popped up on a homeowner's driveway. Uh, WDFW believes the female sea lion was hunting a small fish. Sea lions are common in the Cowlitz River this time of year, but it's rare for them to make their way up small tributaries. Officials believe this animal swam up Delameter Creek, which is only about three feet deep. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Next one uh, out of Georgia Tech. Uh, Shimon, the singer-songwriter robot to launch first album and tour. Robots are generally presumed to be coming for our manual jobs, but lately it seems that even more creative endeavors aren't safe for automation. Shimon the Robot is a marimba-mashing musical maestro we first saw back in 2017, and now he's learned to sing, dance, write lyrics, and compose his own melodies. Better still, he's about to go on tour to promote his first album. Last time we checked, Shimon was more focused on the marimba, bashing out simple tunes of his own creation. Now it looks like he's become way more versatile and his career is taking off. Shimon learns his craft the same way other creative robots do, by being fed huge amounts of data from existing human examples. In this case, that meant 50,000 lyrics from jazz, uh, progressive rock, and hip-hop music. Your confusion is not rational. You're going quick bites here, man. Quick bites today. Last one is out of Russia. Moscow police sees custom Batmobile. A car designed to strike fear into the hearts of criminals everywhere has been impounded by authorities in Russia. The Batmobile, or more accurately, a custom-made likeness of the superhero wagon seen in Batman vs. Superman, was spotted and seized by Moscow traffic police over concerns that it does not fit road safety regulations. A statement from the city's branch of Ministry of the Interior has said that the so-called Batmobile was confiscated in central Moscow. It was apparently not manufactured within factory conditions and was neither registered with authorities nor certified as roadworthy. Upon closer inspection, police determined the car was also unlikely to be deemed safe for public roads. What are you? I'm Batman. 
<laughs> it is a pretty sweet looking car. I, I mean, mean that, that is a craft. That is that is a beautiful looking car. Yeah, but you probably just can't create your own cars and put them out there. I get that. I get that. So uh, anyway, we are really glad you joined us this week. It has been a fun week. Go back and listen to the podcast. Lots of great guests from Kevin Sampson uh, to Dave Getz and Greg Arthur, John Malk uh, and uh, Ken Johnson. Uh, and uh, some others, Kurt Wiggins, all sorts of great guests. You can find all of them at our podcast, The Common Good, or you can find them on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. We really hope you have a great weekend. Glad you spent some time with us. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. (laughs) 